that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, having been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. In this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Thanks, Tim. We, um, we kind of debated in the ministry staff meeting how long in the passage to pick. So thank you, everyone, for humoring me. I really wanted that the whole passage read. So now I can sit down. We're done. <laughs> it is a little tempting. I feel like, you know, I would just love to stand up here and just read the whole book of Ephesians because it's so good. But in our house church, I guess Johnny Cash has already done that, and it's <laughs> better than me. So for those of you that I don't know, my name's Deirdre Chance, and um I'm part of the ministry team staff here at Twin Cities Church, and thanks to the elders' invitation and approval, I get to come a couple times throughout the year and be here to preach. So we're looking today at the book of Ephesians. Um, if you're a part of Twin Cities Church, if you've been here for a while, it's a book you know well. 
but just to kind of get us all on the same page, whether you've been here a long time, you're just kind of been here for a little bit, or if today's your first time and you're just visiting. Um, the book of Ephesians, we don't know who Paul was actually originally addressing because some of the best manuscript copies that we have in the beginning of the letter where it says to the saints in Ephesus, there's actually a blank there. But the way the original Greek is, it seems that there should be an addressee there. So this has caused scholars to conclude that likely Ephesus, the Church of Ephesians, wasn't the only place that this letter was destined to go. That when Paul wrote this letter, he had in his mind that this letter would go to different churches. It would be passed around. And then to kind of support that, if you read the letter, if you read the whole letter, there's no specific problem. There's no specific occasion of a specific church, like Philippians, there was a specific problem going on. So we know it was just for that local Philippi church. But for this one, since it's general, there's no specific occasion. That also lends to the idea that it was meant to be passed around. All those things together. So we know that this letter was intended for a lot of different churches. And we can understand more that Paul wrote this letter to churches having in his mind that there would be varied ethnicities, cultures, races. And he, and as the text says, he wrote it to bring to light for everyone the plan of the church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God could be revealed. And I thought it would be a good transition for us, like George posted. You know, we just came out of missions and looking specifically at race, we're going to be moving into the Pentateuch. I thought this was a good passage for this week. In missions, in the spring, we looked at what is part of our mission, our calling as God's people. Part of our story as God's people is that we should be addressing culturally relevant topics. And so because we find ourselves in this place, in this time right now, we thought that it would be most appropriate, that it would be kind of ignorant or insensitive not to take the summer to deal with racial reconciliation. So we did that this summer to offer, to do some consideration of what could be a biblical perspective, maybe even some applications and solutions for the time that we find ourselves in the culture. And then again, like George posted, we're going to be moving into the Pentateuch in the fall. Well, starting next Sunday. <laughs> um, and we're looking at the Pentateuch to see how God has revealed himself in the Pentateuch so that we can know him more and worship him more. Um, so this week, it seems between what's our calling and knowing and worshiping God, to just remind ourselves of our plan and purposes as the church. Now, I don't know if you ever kind of do this in your mind, but I do this. I think about if I could have been there when the triune God was saying, you know, let us use the church, the flawed yet redeemed, diversified, united church to reveal our manifold wisdom, to reveal the manifold wisdom of the triune God. If I could have somehow been there, like knowing what I know as a human, like if I could have been like an angel or an archangel and listening in, I would have been like, mm -mm, no, that is not a good idea. <laughs> like, really, you're going to use flawed people to reveal your manifold wisdom. Why don't you just send Jesus incarnate like every year back to the planet to reveal your manifold wisdom? That's what I would have thought would have been a good idea. 
And yet, we have this text <laughs> that confronts us with a different reality. So, in this section that Tim read for us, we see Paul um, describing believers who are to be unified in the church and that there's a clear plan and purpose for the church that aligns with these eternal purposes of Christ. And Paul starts this section, which Tim read, with a call to remember. He's specifically telling the Gentiles to remember, and Gentiles could be translated as heathen or pagan, which is probably what a proper Jew would have thought of the Gentiles, heathen pagans. The Gentiles to a strict first century Jew were simply matter-of-factly excluded and disregarded. Yet two times, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, addresses these heathen, pagan Gentiles and says, remember. Remember that at one time, you were separate, you were excluded, you were hopeless, and you were without God. But now, he tells them to remember, remember, but now, on this side of the cross, you're no longer separate. You're no longer excluded. You're no longer hopeless, and you are no longer without God, thanks to the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ, they are brought near. And that verb brought and that preposition near together could mean belong. The Gentiles, the formally excluded, disregarded ones, are now brought near. They now belong. They belong to God by the blood of Christ. And this change for the Gentiles, it isn't just meant to be a change in the way that the Jews view them. It's meant to be a change in their actual condition. The formerly heathen pagan Gentile is now the included included in God's reconciling work and peace. And Christ's blood not only paid for the Gentiles' sin and for the sin of all creation, but Christ's blood ushered in a new covenant where the laws and these excessive ordinances that were meant to change humankind's that were aimed at helping humanity's fallen nature and hard-heartedness is done away with. Christ's blood ushered in the new covenant where the spirit indwells us and overcomes our hard-heartedness and our fallen nature. But let's be honest here. It wasn't just the heathen, Gentile, pagan who needed reconciliation by Christ's blood. The text says that Christ's blood brought peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Christ's blood also brought peace and reconciliation to those who had the religious laws and ordinances that brought them near to the presence of God. To the Jewish people, to the Israelites who were entrusted with the very oracles of God. The Jewish people were just as much in need of Christ's blood as were the excluded and outcast Gentiles. Because sin and the curse of sin is the great equalizer. We're all in the same boat. There's nobody who's beyond reproach. 
As one commentator puts it, the purpose of Christ's work for human salvation isn't limited to the giving of new life to an individual men and women previously dead in sin, like Ephesians 2 talks about. It involves the bringing of those individuals together, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their race, whatever their culture, into unity as one new class of humans who together make up one body, one family, one temple, where the, the temple where the spirit of God dwells. You know, and again, to that strict Jew, to that circumcised Jew, that could be nothing but scandalous. Like these heathen pagans who don't have to be circumcised and can eat and dress however they want, they, they get to be brought into the family? And Paul seems to be preoccupied with this greatest division that separated Jews and Gentiles. This greatest division, which was the dividing wall of hostility. That barrier was both literal and spiritual for that first century audience. If you would have walked into the temple grounds in first century Jerusalem, there'd be the court of Gentiles and there'd be the temple proper. And between the two would literally be a stone wall that divided those who could go near and those who were far off. And on that stone wall, it said, I guess in Greek and Latin, according to archaeologists, uh, nobody from any other nation can go near. If you do, the blame's on you, and it's death. (laughs) There was a literal dividing wall of hostility, right? The Jews were supposed to proselytize or evangelize non-Jews and bring them into the fold, and they were supposed to become circumcised and do all those things. But instead, what happened was there was this spiritual dividing wall of hostility. We're included. We know what we ought to do, and you all don't belong. But the sufficient reconciling work of Christ overcomes all those hostilities between those who are able to come near and those who are far off. And Christ creates one new temple. We're the temple where the spirit of God dwells now. Paul describes this reconciling work of Christ as a mystery which brings Gentiles into the family of God with all the status and all the rights of family. They're fellow heirs. They're members of one body. And they get to receive the promises, the benefits of being in God's family. Again, this is kind of interesting and stunning to us today. But imagine how staggering it would have been to the proper strict Jewish mind. And then Paul gets to his central point of the whole letter, In chapter 3, everything earlier in the letter is pointing to this section, and everything later in the letter is going to describe it in more detail. Paul's central point is to reveal to everyone what is the plan of this mystery, the plan of this mystery that Jews and Gentiles together are one family, one temple, one body. What is the plan of the church? 
This is why we at TCC and our house churches, you know, if you've been a part of TCC for a while, you know, you've heard this. This is why we study Ephesians and Colossians a lot, because we want to understand and apply the plan of the church. And why do we at TCC want to study the plan? Same reason why Paul wrote that there is a plan. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, not just to this present world, but even to the spiritual realm. The great purpose for the church It reaches out just beyond our present moment, beyond what we can physically see and perceive, even to the heavenly realm. It's beyond us. There is a message, a revelation of wisdom of God, a revelation of the wisdom of God that even heavenly beings long to look into, like it says in 1 Peter, that is only displayed through this diverse, redeemed body of believers. Why doesn't send Jesus back incarnate in the flesh every year? There's something that through us that angels long to look into, something unique that reveals the wisdom of God in no other way. And that word manifold can be translated variegated. In the original Greek, it was often used of like tapestry or fabric, or flowers. So if you think of a tapestry, right, it has lots of different threads, different colors, and as they're interwoven, it has greater beauty. Or a flower bouquet or a flower garden, right? If you have different types of flowers in the bouquet or garden, it intensifies and makes it more beautiful. I don't know where I heard this. If I thought of it, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I thought of it my own, but I probably not. I probably read it somewhere and just can't remember. But I always Picture a gem, a precious gem, like a diamond or a sapphire or a ruby, right? Those precious gems, they're cut in a certain way. Manifold could also mean multifaceted. It has many faces. You cut a gem so that when the light hits it, the light is then reflected and intensified in beauty. We as the church are cut in a way so that when his light hits us, it's reflected out and intensified in beauty. So in short, God's chosen way to reveal his manifold wisdom to the spiritual principalities, to the heavenly realm, is through the reconciled, united body of people. People who were formerly opposed and belligerent to one another and to God. So seems logical to ask, is that your regular church experience? (laughs) Feeling like, wow, I just absorbed the manifold wisdom of God. Probably not would be my hunch. (laughs) So why not? What's the problem? Well, part of the problem could be, well, we just don't know. We've never heard this before. Maybe we've never been raised in the church. We've never gone to church. We're not Christians. We don't know. We haven't heard this before. Why would we go to church to understand the manifold wisdom of God when nothing in society is saying, hey, the church is a place to find out about this beautiful manifold wisdom of God. Just like the Gentiles were disregarded in first century, the church is often disregarded today. To quote Lawrence Simmons, he said, the church is often the whipping boy of many of today's religious problems. 
And certainly, there's plenty of ammunition for accusations against the church, and we'll even fall into it ourselves sometimes and just, by default, do what society does and kind of bash the church. Or we could, maybe we've been in the church, we've been here at TCC even, and we know this, we've heard this, this isn't anything new to us, but we're not skillful in applying this. We've been studying the plan of God, but we don't know how to apply it because it's hard. (laughs) You know, Ephesians, again, goes on to details what the plan is. It's hard to speak the truth in love to one another. It's hard to forgive each other as Christ forgives us. It's hard to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ hard to submit to your husband if you're a wife. It's hard to love and cherish your wife like Christ does the church and cleanse her with the word. If you're a husband, if you're a kid, it's hard to obey your parents. If you're a parent, it's hard to raise your kids in the love and discipline of the Lord. If you're an employee, it's hard to work for your employer like he's Christ. And if you're an employer, it's hard to not threaten and take advantage of your employees. But I also think the reason, the obstacle to this for us is that we don't do what Paul calls us to do. We don't remember. We don't remember the gospel. We have gospel amnesia. I don't know if I first heard that from Paul Tripp or Tim Keller, but I would define it not so much as a memory block as a drift. We drift or we marginalize the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we turn other things into the most important things. For the Gentile and Jew of Paul's time, they could drift from the centrality of the gospel. They drift and only the Jews, the circumcised Jews with their proper strict ordinances would be together. They drift and only the Gentiles with their ways or maybe only the Greek Jews would be over there. We'll drift and we'll spend time with people who are the same, same views, same geographic, same social status. And we forget the most important thing. We'll do this today, too. You know, think about the last year plus of COVID, right? Everybody comments how polarized our country is becoming. We're divided over COVID and mass and vaccines and politics and race. You know, even if you like search something on social media, um, we're finding out like if you're in Minneapolis, if you search up, I don't know, whatever, COVID vaccines, you're, what's going to pop up on your feed is what other people in Minneapolis are doing. And if you do it in St. Paul, you're going to, what's going to first pop up is what other people in your geographical region. And if you're in the suburbs, you're going to get what other people in their geographical region. If you're in rural areas like heaven forbid, River Falls, Wisconsin, you're going to get a different area. And it, it just, Right? It's human nature. It happened in first century Palestine. It's happening in more sophisticated ways. We drift apart and we don't stay united. Uh, 20, 25 years ago, you know, again, it doesn't matter if it was 20 years ago or now, we've, we've been doing this, but it makes me think, you've, this is an old one, 
you've ever read the book Freedom Riders or seen that movie, um, it took place in L.A. during the time of the Rodney King beatings. And it's a true story. It's based on a true story of a teacher at an L.A. high school. And uh, those high school students were maybe in amplified ways doing what we still do today, what they did in first century Jerusalem, is they were all in student groups, even gangs, based on their ethnic ethnicities or race. So you'd have the blacks all in one gang, the Asians in another gang, the Hispanics in another, the whites off to themselves. And one of the students in this story, true story, was struggling because she had witnessed a crime that someone in her cultural community had committed. And her dad was pressuring her to send an innocent man from a different racial group to jail, to prison, and let the guilty man go free. And this teacher, she was able to bring unity. What she literally did is she put a piece of masking tape down the center of the room. And she would start stating experiences. And if the students had that experience, they had to step, come into the center and step on the masking tape. And experience after experience, they realized they were more the same than different, and they were letting these superficial external differences divide them and literally kill them. We'll drift without effort into these groups. Sometimes we can forget and drift away from the centrality of the gospel and even make religious duty the thing that's most important. And we move away from the centrality of the sufficient work of Christ and his grace. And when we do that, we turn Christianity into this humanism effort. It's a pull yourself up by the bootstrap sort of thing. And we'll see it manifest in ourselves when we start to judge others and evaluate others on what commitments or what disciplines or what habits they have. We'll use our standards, our convictions as the bar to measure others rather than looking at others through the lens of the gospel. But thankfully, Jesus overcomes our amnesia. He overcomes our drifting. He overcomes our forgetfulness. Jesus overcomes because he underwent all the temptations we go through and more. He gets what it's like to walk around in this human condition. Satan tempted him with pride and riches and power. He went through terrible rejection, ultimately the crucifixion, but he overcame it all because he understood and he remembered the heavenly father's eternal plans and purposes, his heavenly father's plans and purposes to redeem humanity through this sufficient work laid out before him. And then what would be the ongoing work of God, the spirit to indwell and sanctify redeemed humanity so that the church can reveal the manifold wisdom of God. So that gospel helps us to remember too. That gospel humbles us and it unifies us because it puts our attention off of ourselves and back onto the one who was bloodied and bruised for our sins, for our arrogance, for our standards and condemnations and gossip and violence, 
An Australian preacher put it this way, the gospel cuts through our inclination to compare and places all of us in the same category of broken, needy, and helpless. And as Tim Keller says, the gospel reminds us that we are more flawed than we ever cared to admit, but more loved than we ever dared to dream. You know, we're going to move into the Pentateuch this fall, and we're going to see God's people forgetting, forgetting his plan, forgetting who they are, forgetting who God is. In Exodus through Deuteronomy, we're going to see God bringing this disparate group of people into one family, into one nation, and calling them his people, his treasured possession, his nation of priests. And then we'll see the Levitical laws, how they were to reveal uncleanliness, expose shame, outcast God's people, but then how the laws were meant to bring them back to help them remember that the people who were formerly not my people are now called my people, God's people. The gospel, the good news that is in the eternal purposes of God and more fully realized through the incarnate and crucified and resurrected Christ, the gospel that was first preached to Abraham, like it says in Galatians, that gospel helps us to remember who we really are. Core to who we really are is being created in the image of God and redeemed as a church together. That's core to being at peace, in his peace, having peace. One commentator put it this way, the trouble with men and women is not merely that they're out of harmony with their environment and with one another, but they're alienated from the life of God. That is with respect to their true spiritual nature. They're dead through trespasses and sins. But God made us alive together in Christ. In Christ, we we have the mind of Christ. We're alive. We can remember. We can remember who we were created to be. And we can fulfill that. And part of that is being the church where the manifold wisdom of God is revealed. So the gospel humbles us and it equalizes us. But it also empowers us and it unifies us. You know, as we remember the gospel, that we're unified by the same spirit, right? We all have the same spirit in us if we have faith in Jesus Christ. And that same spirit that unifies us all is also the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the fruit of that indwelling spirit in us is part of that eternal plan of the church, which will be accomplished, which will accomplish the purpose of the church to reveal his manifold wisdom of God. When we're unified in the gospel, the spirit's going to be doing that work in us. To put it a different way, but if we do it the opposite, if we look to other things to fill us up, to give our lives meaning in ways that only God is meant to do, We're going to be insecure, we're going to be demanding, and we're going to be divided. But if we're filled with God's spirit, we're united. 
And we'll submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, like it says in Ephesians 5.21. And Tim Keller points out that phrase in 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence really isn't a strong enough word. It really should be submit to one another out of the fear of Christ, out of the fear of the Lord, right? We hear that all throughout the Bible. Fear of the Lord in biblical terms isn't being scared of him. It's being overwhelmed and controlled by him. Submit to one another because you're overwhelmed and controlled by Christ, which is another way of saying being filled with the spirit. You know, earlier I was saying maybe we don't have this church experience of revealing the manifold wisdom of God because it's hard hard to submit to one another. It's hard to forgive as Christ forgave. It's hard to speak the truth in love. We weren't meant to do that in our flesh. Sometimes you come across somebody and you're like, wow, they can kind of do that pretty well naturally. But that's not the norm. We were meant to live out the plans of the church by being filled with the spirit. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense unless we're doing it by being filled with the spirit. So the spirit of God helps us live harmoniously with one another and to submit to one another so that we can reveal the manifold wisdom of God. But on the other hand, it's kind of cyclical. When I drift away from that gospel, when I have that gospel amnesia, the community helps me to remember. So the spirit will help me be in community, reveal the manifold wisdom of God. A true church community will help me get that gospel reset, will help me to continue to renew my mind in the gospel. Genuine Christian church community can't be replaced. There's nothing quite like being part of a church and being open with other Christians. They know you, you know them, You pray for each other. You love each other, even though you really know each other. (laughs) Um, That is the vibrant church community. If you haven't taken steps to build a community like that, I would really recommend it. So tied to that is transparency. We remember the gospel of Christ and we're empowered by his spirit So that gives me that humble confidence to really be honest in community, honest and transparent. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I can bring out my flaws. I can admit I have flaws and I need help in Christian community and ask the people who are in community with me to pray for me because I'm not condemned. Christ's work was sufficient and this community bringing it to the light will help Fill me with the spirit and help me get that reset. We can be honest with our insides. We don't have to, you know, put on this false pretense of our outsides to distract from our crumbling insides. And along with being that transparent, we remain constant. You know, when somebody really knows you, really knows your flaws, your weaknesses, your strengths, but they still remain constant. We remain constant to one another because Christ was constant for us. So to close, we're filled with the spirit and thus we're in community with the church, being transparent and constant with each other. 
and the eternal purposes of Christ Jesus are fulfilled in the church as the manifold wisdom of God is revealed through us, the church, and we help each other remember. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and for each person here who took time aside to just pause, know you more, worship you more. Lord, I pray that your word would just deepen in us and help us to be strengthened, help help us as individuals and households and families and churches to be filled with your spirit, to be overwhelmed and controlled because our focus is on you and your sufficient work. We trust this is your will, your plan, and your purpose, and we look forward for how you will work it out in our lives, collectively and individually. And we pray all these things through Jesus Christ. Amen.